Turn back to the book of Luke, if you would, and we want to once again thank everyone who participated this morning in this excellent service. We thank, I then want to thank my wife for putting everything together, and for the sound team doing an excellent job keeping up with everything, and all the singing. This, this has been a glorious time this, so far. We'll turn to the book of Luke, and I do want to thank the smart aleck who after last week I had no water, brought the picture up here. So, um, does it? Well, okay. So after, uh, since uh, I could probably go for two hours now with so much water, so we'll see what happens. I think I'll just keep it over here in case I get thirsty. All right. Luke chapter 2, we've read this passage through this morning, and I'm looking principally at verse 14 for just a moment. It says there, one of the great verses of this time of year, it says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. It's perhaps one of the most beloved lines in the Christmas story. The angels have just announced uh, the uh, coming of the Savior, the birth of Jesus Christ, the incarnation. And uh, they've announced that to, of all people, the shepherds. The shepherds were not a, a sophisticated people. The shepherds are, were very, very common people, very low-rung people. No one would have expected anyone to show up and tell them about something of this nature. But that's what God did. And he talked to the, to, spoke to them. And he said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. The King James is more poetic, of course. It says, On earth, peace, goodwill toward men. But the accuracy of the New American Standard is, is better because this is what he's actually saying, peace among men with whom he is pleased. That's a sweet sentiment, isn't it? But we're tempted to respond like the verse we just read, sang a moment ago from uh, what, uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's poem when he said there is no peace on earth I said for hate is strong and mocks the, the song of peace on earth goodwill toward men and uh, that is pretty accurate someone did a study in 1988 in which they went back to all recorded history about 3600 years to see how much peace there had been on the earth and of those 3600 years they could only find 286 years where there was peace on earth uh, around the globe and during that time, there was over 8,000 peace treaties signed. Almost all of them have been broken. So there's not been a lot of peace. Remember back in the, the beauty pageant days, it asked the contestants, what do you want most of all for this world? They always would say, world peace. Well, that's a pretty safe thing to say, and most of us would like that, to have world peace. Matter of fact, we would like peace of any kind. We would like to have world peace. We would like to have national peace. We'd like to have peace between one another. We'd like to have peace in our hearts. And much of what we read today, much of what we sang today had to do with peace. And so we want to look at that today. Almost all of us want peace. And the incarnation came to bring us peace, according to the angels. Peace on earth, according to the angels. But what, is, what do we need to understand about this peace? What were they actually proclaiming when they came? Well, in order to understand that, we need to understand what the word peace means. For the Jews, it meant something very different than it means for you and I. It was the word shalom, and it speaks of a, of a different kind of peace than you and I expect. Matter of fact, it was how they greeted one another, with the word shalom. When you and I greet one another, we say, hi, how are you? And what is our response? Fine, right? Every time. So even this week, I was thinking about this, I was... Uh, uh, we were, came into church, it was five below zero. The thermostat in the office area, which the only room I care about, 
during the week. Uh, it was down to 47 degrees. The furnace wasn't working very well, obviously. We had a little bit of a problem there. Eventually we had some things freeze up on us. And uh, on top of that, the internet wouldn't work. Well, what do you do out the internet? So Linda was in there on a computer with a two coats on and three pair of gloves. Uh, but there was no internet anyway, so there wasn't a whole lot we could do. So everything was going the wrong direction, just everything. And then somebody from the church called me and says, Hi, how are you? And I said, I am fine. <laughs> and I thought as soon as I said that, I'm, li- I'm a liar. There's nothing fine about this day at all. It just wasn't going well. Well, that's just what we do. We're just the way we talk. But the Jews didn't. The Jews called, uh, greeted one another, not with a question, but with a, just a, a hope. You know, a wish. And that wish was for peace. And they would say shalom to one another as if that was a, not just a greeting, but a wish for them, for one another. And the word for shalom meant more than what we think of normal peace. It is a word that was translated in Scripture as prosperity of well-being, of good health, of completeness, of safety. Uh, in other words, it is a word that was a whole package. When we said, when someone had said salom to someone, uh, we were then at that point being wished that everything in life would go well. That, that you're, there would be no battles between you and someone else. That there would be no enemies that would attack. That within your own heart, there would be true calmness and peace. And that was the wish that the Jews would have for one another. And of course, on a spiritual level, the most important peace of all, peace with God. And that's what the word shalom meant. And so when the angels show up on this wonderful night, and, he, and they talk about peace on earth, uh, the uh, shepherds had some idea what was being said. Matter of fact, as they, as they thought about that, they realized that the angels were saying something very intense, something of great depth. They were, asked, they were telling the shepherds there, there's coming a time when peace is going to be on earth, when, when there be no more war, when there be no more battle within our own hearts over different issues of life and of sin, when there be no more issues with God, where those who are in favor with Him would never battle anymore. It's no wonder that the greeting that we find, I won't ask you to turn there right now, but in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 to 26, is one of the sweetest greetings or blessings, let's say that, in all the Word of God, in all of history. At that point, Aaron is instructed and his sons after that to say this to the people of Israel, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Peace. And so when the angels heard the word peace, they had heard that word all their life. They knew exactly what it meant and they understood the angels were talking about something of great depth and great value. But what was it? What kind of peace were they proclaiming? I want you to go back quickly to Isaiah chapter 9 in this wonderful promise and prophecy found in the Old Testament. And I want you to think for a moment when the shepherds heard the words of the angels, having heard the words from Isaiah all their life, having memorized them, having, looked, having been looking forward to the promise that is found here all their lives, when the angels showed up with the proclamation that they were making, they immediately went to this passage in their mind. 
I believe. Verse 6 of chapter 9 of Isaiah, for, the, for a child will be born to us. Okay, there's the child, the one they've been waiting for for 600 years since this prophecy. A son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Over in a stable somewhere is the son that was promised 600 years ago. He's wrapped in clothing. He's there for you to see. Go and see him. As their minds tried to process that, think about it for a moment. They knew that the prophecy was not simply about a common baby in a manger somewhere. It would be also a baby who would be, have this description. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. The prince of peace had come. And they were, being, they were the first to find out. But it's more than that. That's just part of it. There's a kingdom that is attached to the coming of this little baby. In verse 7, There be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The incarnation was a beginning. Not an end. It's not the end game. We celebrate Christmas every year. We call it Christmas. The better term is the incarnation. But we celebrate it every year. And, and hopefully as Christians, uh, most of you would celebrate what it really means, at least where it, what it points to. We want to have our celebrations later, to open our gifts, to have our meals, to have our fellowship. All that is wonderful. But the incarnation, it was a starting point. God entered time. God became man. God became as a baby. But he was no normal baby. He is the prince of peace. And his kingdom is to come with him in due time. So what kind of kingdom is this going to be? I want you to go to Ephesians, Romans chapter 5 verse 1 for just one moment. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. When we think about peace, we need to think about what peace is really all about. Paul said in Galatians, or Ephesians 6.15, he said that we should have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That is, the child of God needs to be standing rock solidly on the gospel, the message of peace. But he doesn't in Ephesians explain what that message is, what that peace is. But he does in Romans chapter 5 verse 1 when he says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's many kinds of peace. There's peace in nations. There's peace among people. There's peace in our hearts. There's the peace of God where the Lord comforts us during times of anxiety. But this peace is unique, and it's the peace that we're talking about. It is peace with God. We're born rebels. We're born in conflict with God. We're born in war with God. And yet, because Jesus Christ has come, we can have peace with God through faith alone. And so that's the peace that he's talking about. In John 1.29, John the Baptist, remember, he sees for the first time Jesus walking toward him. And he says this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
We think of lambs often in a time of Christmas. It kind of goes with the season to some degree. And the word lamb tells a story about what the incarnation is about and about all that he's come to give. I want to follow that up in the book of Revelation, if you want to go back there for a moment. Revelation will start with chapter 5. We're familiar with the term lamb and, and, and its reference to Christ. But you might not realize that of the 32 times that the word lamb is found in the New Testament, uh, every one but one refers to Christ as the lamb. But here's an even more interesting statistic. 30 of those 34 times in which Jesus is mentioned, or the 32 times he's mentioned, uh, let, me, let me say it differently. Uh, all but four of the times that the lamb is mentioned are found in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is the book of the lamb. And I want you to very quickly this morning in our re remaining minutes to follow the storyline of the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In chapter 5 and in verse 6, it says this, first of all, that he shed his blood for our sins. The Lamb did that. In verse 6 of chapter 5, And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a Lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And he who had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to, make the, to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nations. The Lamb of God came to die for our sins and shed His blood for us. Following right on that is a future promise, the promise of the kingdom that comes as well. Verse 10, you have made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. They weren't reigning yet, but the, the incarnation followed by the, the crucifixion and the resurrection sets up the timing of the coming of the kingdom. That's, that's the reason why, starting in verse 11, all the hosts of heaven, cannot help but fall down and worship the Lamb of God. And then I looked, verse 11, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them were myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and then wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every cre created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. One of the greatest worship services of all times. Predicated by the fact that the Lamb of God has died for our sins, shed his blood for our sins, and is ready to give us his kingdom. And all is wonderful at that point. But we find from this point on in the book of Revelation, resistance. We find that even though the, the, the Lamb of God has come in a manger, 
as the God-man. He, he came in the incarnation. We find even though he lived on this earth perfectly and that he died on the cross, that he shed his blood, that he was resurrected from the dead, that he's coming again and a kingdom will come with him. Even with all of that, the vast majority of humanity resist him and hate him and want nothing to do with him. And that's what the rest of the book of Revelation up to chapter 19 is all about. We find co constant resistance. The wrath of God poured out upon humanity and they continue to hate him and defy him. In chapter 6 verse 16 it says this, And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand. What a contrast. All the host of heaven who truly understand the Lamb of God, all the hosts fall down in worship and say that he's worthy. But humanity that is in defiance of him hide. The, the angelic beings fall to the ground and worship. The resistors of God hide from him and hate him and turn from him. And that's been the story of most of humanity throughout the ages. But the Lord is never defeated. The rest of the book of Revelation up to chapter 19, if you can go there with me if you would, is the story of God's judgment upon those who resist Him, and yet their continued defiance. They don't turn in repentance. They don't turn in faith. They don't turn crying out for His mercy and grace. They continue to fight and resist and turn from Him and hate Him. But we come to chapter 19 and verse 7, and we find... The, the Lord's kingdom is yet to come, and the Lord's kingdom will come. And we see the opening act, so to speak, in verse 7, at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We took a communion service today that points the direction to the greatest gathering of all times at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Verse 7, Let us rejoice and be glad, and give the glory to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Look at verse 9. And he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's us. That's us who know Christ as our Savior. We have been invited to that marriage supper of the Lamb. The victory is His. He is, he is now beginning to bring the kingdom that He's paid for to earth. And we find that kingdom taking place as He comes in chapter 9 verses 11 to defeat all of His enemies. In chapter 20, he begins to, to set up what we call the Millennial Kingdom. And then we move all the way over to chapter 21 for sake of time and look at the final eternal kingdom that he has come to give us. The angels proclaim not only that there would be a baby in a manger who would be Almighty God and the Prince of Peace. They were also claiming that there would be a kingdom that he would bring. And here it is. Here is the kingdom, the eternal kingdom God has for those that know him. In chapter 21, we go all the way back to verse 22 for just a moment. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the, and, and the city has no need of sun, or of the moon, or to shine on it. For the glory of God is illuminated, and the Lamb is the lamp is the Lamb. Verse 27, who is, who is there with us, with Him, in the kingdom? And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb's book of life in the scriptures is a, is a registry of those that know Christ. 
Those who are His, those that have, come, that have come to Him by faith alone and received His salvation are in the Lamb's book of life. The kingdom is for those that know Him. And that's why the angels proclaimed what they did. In chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Then He showed me a river of, of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and from the Lamb. Verse 3, And there was no longer any curse, and the throne of God and the, of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be written on their forehead. That's the kingdom the Lord has come to bring. When the angels came and said in chapter 2 of Luke, verse 14, Glory to God in the highest, and on peace among men with whom he is pleased. That was a reference that the, to those that would be pleased, not because of their good works, not because of their efforts, not because they were wonderful people, they would be pleased because they would receive the righteousness that only Christ could give them, the righteousness that was His. He came to ransom us from our sins. He came to save us from ourselves. He came to save us from sin and give us His eternal life. Who pleases God? Who gets into His kingdom? Who knows Him eternally? Those are in the Lamb's book of life. And those who are in the Lamb's book of life have recognized their complete helplessness. They can do nothing for their own salvation. They can only fall before the Lord and ask Him to forgive them of their sins. My friends, as we think about this glorious Christmas season, I want to give you a message of peace. But there's such a thing as a false peace and a true peace. I think of Jonah in the belly of that, not the fish, but of the boat. Remember the ship? is rocking back and forth and about ready to sink. And Noah, Jonah is in the bottom sleeping. As Jonah's in the bottom of that fish, of that, of that boat sleeping, the boat's about to go down. It was a false peace. It's not a true peace. He was going to go down. But there's a true peace found in Christ. A peace that only He can give. A peace that He came at the incarnation to initiate. A peace that you can have for all eternity. If you don't know the Savior in the way we've talked about today, if you don't have this peace with God, we would encourage you, even this morning, what a wonderful day it would be, Christmas morning, to come to the Savior, fall before Him, repent of your sins, take His gift of salvation that He's come to give, and start it on this day, initiating His entry into humanity to save us from sin on this day. What a day it would be for you to turn to Him and find His peace. Pray with me. Father, we give you praise today for all you've done. We thank especially of this time of year, this incarnation. We thank of the, the fact that you've come for a purpose, to save us and ransom us from our own sins. Lord, we give you praise. I, I don't know all, everybody here, Lord, I don't know if there's some that don't know you as Savior. I'm pretty sure there probably is. But you know. May this very morning, Lord, as they consider their life before you, and the, the fact of the incarnation and why it came about and the, re, and the crucifixion and the resurrection and the kingdom to come as they think through all these things. Lord, may they turn to you with all their hearts and souls and profess you as Savior and Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.